Anti-vax hits the veterinary profession. Are you seeing more clients question our vaccination protocols this week on The Veterinary Viewfinder? Welcome back to The Veterinary Viewfinder, the podcast that tackles the toughest topics in veterinary medicine. And nothing, I mean nothing, is more contentious and controversial and tougher than the anti-vaccine movement. And we have seen this movement grow, expand all over the world. We're seeing tremendous problems with once thought to be eradicated diseases like measles. Oh my gosh. And now it is creeping over into the veterinary profession. And we're going to talk all about the challenges that we face as veterinary professionals. But before we start talking, as always, I'd like to introduce myself. I am Dr. Ernie Ward. And I'm registered veterinary technician, Becky Mosser. And Becky, can you believe we're actually going to have a podcast about anti-vaccine sentiment in the veterinary profession? Uh, I guess. I mean, and, I guess we got to. Yeah. And, I, and we're not just talking about people like not showing up for their annual exam. We're talking right. about people who are saying this is wrong. This is bad. This is harmful. I mean, there's always been that undercurrent there, right? You know, we've had people concerned about vaccine-associated fibrosarcomas, for example, in felines. Um, and we've dealt with that, but I don't think we've ever seen the sentiment turn to say, wow, you know, we don't need the vaccines. The vaccines are unnecessary and I'm not getting it. I yeah. mean, is this just me? No, no, no. And that's, I guess that's the reason that's why we're talking about it, right? And it's funny because we make jokes and there's, you know, memes and, and things on the internet about, you know, vaccines don't cause autism in your dog. And like we make fun of it, but we make fun of it because we actually hear it because people are carrying this idea, this this sentiment from the human side that, that they're concerned that vaccines are correlated with autism and it, they're putting it on their pets. And additionally, the concerns of over-vaccinating to the point of now not vaccinating at all. Right. And, and so what we're looking at, there's been several studies, surveys, and reports around the world, primarily in the U.S., the U.K., and in Canada. And, you know, I, I want to share with you some of the latest statistics. So basically, in 2018, the PDSA, which is the Britain's People's Dispensary for Sick Animals, kind of like a big humane society organization. They do fantastic work. Well, they surveyed more than 4,600 pet owners, and they found that in 2018, last year, that about 25% of the dogs, which equals 2.2 million of them, had not had their necessary vaccinations when they were young. And they are seeing this jump over the past three or four years. And when they ask people, well, why aren't you giving your puppies and your dogs the vaccines? Nearly 20% of the respondents stated that it just wasn't necessary. And this extends to cats. They found that 35% of cat owners did not have their kittens vaccinated. Ah! And 41% of the older cats hadn't received their regular boosters. Now, Becky, I have always been one for extended duration immunity, right? Or vaccine protocol. So that every three year, I was early on that. I was very vocal. A lot of controversy back in the day, but you know, we've now kind of understand that they're that these vaccines last longer than a year. But we're talking about people not vaccinating at all, puppies and kittens, because they think it's not necessary. What's what's going on? It's terrifying. And I was thinking about this the other day because you know you flip through social media and. 
there's all these posts about this little parvo puppy. Now I own him. This little parvo puppy. Everybody, please say prayer for him. This little par- and I thought if we were praying for children with mumps as much as we tra- you know have to pray for pu- like, you know what I mean. Seriously though, like what is going on? How come we are seeing it so much? How come it's so prevalent? Why is this such an issue? And then people think we don't need them. Like I can't I can't make that correlation. If we see so much of these diseases, how come they think they don't need them? Like what is the what's driving right. it? And, and viewfinders, we want to hear from you. Like are you seeing an uptick in these vaccine refusals? I mean, I want to know this vaccine hesitancy seems to be a global movement. And and certainly, you know, uh, last year, I think we talked about it a little bit on this podcast, there was a British morning show that had a guest on who made a ridiculous and completely false claim that canine autism was related to vaccines somehow. Uh, Just to set the record straight, there's not such a thing as canine autism, and we certainly know it's not related to to children, human children, uh, with their vaccines. So, I mean, Becky, this stuff just spreads like wildfire on the internet, and then we're left kind of picking up the ashes, in this case, in the form of parvo puppies and kittens with the stemper. I mean, this is nutso. Yeah, and you know, I I looked into this a little bit because I didn't totally understand. As far as I can tell, like really and truly, the autism correlations with vaccines, like they they most closely stem back to like I believe it was Jenny McCarthy wrote a book, like like MTV Jenny McCarthy, yeah. and and so I'm like I really can't find where the origins of these concerns are coming from. And then all of a sudden, it's just like this game of telephone where something gets said and it's it's grossly misconstrued. And then I don't know if it's just the clickability of the title or if it's how it's worded, but then that's what the regular population takes away from it. And so we really and truly have people coming in genuinely concerned, right? Like I'm not client shaming. They're genuinely concerned for their pet. Uh, it's not always about money. These are people who are more than willing right. to do anything. They're in the cl- they're making a conscious effort to not get vaccines, not get n- healthcare, right? Like so it's not, hey, I'm not here for healthcare. It's hey, I don't want to do that. I appreciate people being really educated and really involved. Like I love that we are in this day and age and this generation of people who are informed. It is really nice to have educated client conversations. I find more and more clients are researching and finding their own knowledge and education, and they're finding good sources, right? More and more, we're moving away from laughing at Dr. Google because we have a generation that knows how to do actual research right. and they know how to, to to hold people responsible for the information that they're reading. And that's going to be the best thing that ever happened to us. But, you know, we we still are somehow sorting through these myths and misnomers. And, and again, I don't exactly know how we tackle it. Yeah, and this is a big risk. Uh, so, uh, again, the World Health Organization this year listed what they call vaccine hesitancy or people not getting regular human vaccines for their children or themselves as one of the top 10 threats to global health. I mean, we are in 2019 and people are are, are so adamant about refusing these vaccines that saved have saved millions and millions of lives, prevented immeasurable suffering and pain. And and now the World Health Organization is saying this is one of our biggest health threats to the world. I mean, come on. So again, so Becky, let's 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 flip it. We know it's a problem and we know that 
people, it's not the, that it's too expensive. I think that's been the old standby for us. You know, it's like, oh, if we just make them cheaper, they'll, they'll come in. We're now starting to see a, a shift towards we don't think it's necessary or even that it might cause harm. So what are some of the things that you think veterinary technicians, veterinarians, client service representatives should be saying when they're, they're confronted with this stuff? Again, I think this is an area we have to be on the forefront. We have to be proactive instead of reactive. You know, I I kind of have this personal mantra of like, if I tell you it's a reason, if you ask me, it's an excuse, right? And so if I have to tell you on the back end of the appointment why I think this is important when I'm standing there with the vaccines in front of me, it it seems like we're in a debate now. It seems like I'm trying to convince you. It seems like I'm trying to sell you. I want to convince you before you get in the door. I want to educate you as one of my clients to be coming in and asking for what you need, knowing what you need, because I've done such a good job of educating you and in, in getting in front of this information. So I think we have a personal responsibility to do a better job on so many levels of, of, of client education, public education. And You know, I feel like when I talk to clinics and I talk to customer service reps and managers, they're always talking about, you know, what can I do to get my clients more involved? What should I be putting in my newsletters? What should I be putting on social media? Like they don't know what to put into a social media calendar. And then they have all of these gaps in knowledge. And I'm like, hey, this seems like two things we could marry together and get in front of. Yeah. And viewfinders, I want to hear, you know, what what you're experiencing in the world, real world. I, I'd love to, to talk to somebody who's doing this. I've I've heard of vets who split up the vaccine. So they actually give like a, a third or a fifth of the vaccine and they do that once a week over like three to five weeks. Have you heard about this kind of stuff? That's I, I don't know if, if the vet is really afraid of of the vaccine or if they're just doing this to appease a concerned client. But uh, viewfinders, what are you hearing out there? What are you experiencing? What are you maybe doing? Uh, are you doing, you know, tighter testing? And if so, is that helping? Yeah. And, and that's another area, right? So we talk about tighter testing and I think our clients are becoming more educated and wanting to have alternatives, which again tells me that they are interested in protecting their pets. They just are afraid of over vaccinating. So I guess what is the science of over-vaccinating? What are we really concerned uh, about doing? Have we shown any kind of evidence that too many vaccines are being given in a way that it's it's negatively affecting the ability to protect our pets? I think I think intermittent is important. Um, but then, you know, we, we get into this space where we, we start making our own rules, like you just said, right. and all of a sudden we hear, oh, okay, well, we'll stop vaccinating at seven or 10 or 12. And, right. and we just kind of throw, um, you know, a little water on the fire because we don't really know exactly how to do it and do it exactly right. And then we get, I think, in a bad spot when our clients come in with information that they feel really solid on, but we don't have any solid evidence to stand on. So then we really don't know how to have this conversation exactly. Yeah, and, and it's different than like your own human child because we still still are dealing in veterinary medicine with property, right? So, I mean, this is a different type of law that applies. So with your child, you can at least apply or try to get all kinds of exemptions, right, based on religion. On, on lifestyle, I mean, your personal choices, that kind of stuff, right? I'm not going to get into that. But with your dog, it's your property and you do have the right not to have them vaccinated, except for rabies, of course. So, you know, Becky, that makes our job a little more challenging, right? Because, sure. you know, that client across from us can say, nope, not going to do it. You are not giving that distemper vaccine. So how far do we push that, right? Well, so that makes me think about the stories that I read 
where pediatricians say, I'm not going to treat your child if you're not going to follow these particular vaccine protocols. And if you know, I will basically not see an anti-vaxxer. Yeah. Um, and it makes me wonder ethically, what can we, I think in the veterinary field, we just like, we're afraid to lose clients. We, we won't stand up for what we really believe in. And so I think we end up doing things we don't necessarily want to do or making exceptions we don't feel great about because we really hate losing clients. I really, I wish we could get a little more comfortable with that. I, I wish we could get a little bit more comfortable with letting clients go because we don't see eye to eye. How could we possibly with every single person that walks in our door? Yeah. And, and this kind of reminds me a little bit about some of the declaw debate, right? I mean, sure. you know, we've, we've had numerous guests on the podcast over three years. We've discussed it uh, quite a bit. Uh, and, and, you know, again, if you're out there listening and you're not comfortable with declawing, do you, are, are you comfortable sitting across from that client and going, hey, you know, I'm not going to do the declaw for you? Well, does that logic extend to the vaccines, right? So if you're not going to be, if you're not going to, properly immunize your dog or cat, you know, then I'm not going to be able to help you as, as a veterinarian, right? I mean, I, I don't know. I'm not trying to pass judgment here either way. I'm just saying as a veterinary profession, what are we willing to accept, I guess, is really what I'm going at. You know, uh, what will we tolerate from our clients? And look, I'm all about tolerance. But, yeah. you know, if a client is doing something that could be potentially injurious to all of the dogs in your community, are you going to be supportive of that? Well, I think that's exactly right. Is is so first of all, right. This isn't from a place of judgment. I I think it's just the thought tossing in terms of like what are the reasons that we come from the places that we do? How are we dealing with these situations and why are we dealing with them the way that we are? So you're but I do feel like we are, are sometimes we talk about the depression, we talk about the compassion fatigue, we talk about the stress and the burnout. And sometimes I think these are the things that contribute even more than the big things. It's like these little things that chip away at us, like the constant conversations and convincing we have to do for our clients to do the things we think are important. And you're absolutely right. I, I don't know how much ethical mapping and guidance there is for our practitioners out there. Um, you know, I'm really involved with the Society for Veterinary Medical Ethics, and I, I hear regularly people say, um, you know, I didn't even know there was such a thing. You know, Dr. Ernie, I know you're um, an, a lifetime, you know, honorary <laughs> member for, right. of the society. And, and and then we have all these practitioners that don't even know that this is a thing. And I think we need ethical and moral support um, to help us map this because where do we draw the line? I am not going to chop your ears off. I'm not going to chop your tail right. off. I'm, I'm going to let you walk out of the door without a vaccine. We have to self-preserve somewhere in there, right? But how... How do we choose and what is it based on? And and when it's based on the wrong things, what it what are the moral implications for us? Right. And and most of these concerns, at least the ones that I've been personally experienced uh, with, are un unfounded, right? So basically you vaccinate a dog or a cat, and then a week, a month, a year passes, the dog gets some vague symptoms and the vaccine gets blamed. I mean, I, I've personally been involved with a lot of those cases. And Becky, I'm sure you've seen similar types of things where, you know, the cat came in for their annual vaccines. The next week it's sniffling. It's the vaccine. you know. And, and so I, I think that we really have to sit back as, as a community, as a society, as pet own, owning people and say, okay, there are definitely huge upsides to vaccination protocols, right? I mean, we save lives. We prevent suffering. I mean, the, the evidence is clear. Uh, and there's very limited, if any, downside. 
So uh, again, you know, when I'm sitting across from that client who's blaming a vaccine, it's a hard argument, right? Because all they see is cause and effect. My dog was here last week and now it has an ear infection. Therefore, it must have been the vaccine, which of course is, is not logical at all. And yet, you know, I, I, I can't beat them with science. I can't beat them yeah. with logic. They're convinced it's a problem. And then they really, you know, refuse to vaccinate ever again. Now, I will tell you, Becky, the thing that keeps most pet owners out of trouble is the fact that their pet lives in solitary confinement. Okay. So they're not, most, most dogs and cats in America are not social creatures, right? I mean, they typically live in their house. They go out in their yard. They rarely venture out into the real world where they could be exposed to other antigens and, and diseases, infectious agents. And so that's where I think we get lucky. But as we begin to have a pets everywhere society, as we begin to take our dogs to restaurants and to parks and on airplanes and on trains, Becky, this gets real fast. Yeah, I mean, I was thinking to myself, like, nah, we used to be a society where they didn't. Now, right. I was just talking to my girlfriend while I was in Florida who was taking her dog to, like, literally, like, a beer garden event for dogs. Like, obviously, not the beers for the dogs, but you come, drink beer, bring your dog. They're here to socialize. And, and get a dose of Parvo on the side. <laughs> it's so true. And then I'm also thinking, like, okay, well, if they're not going out and they're not socializing, then why do I still have hospitals full of Parvo puppies? Why are right. these tiny little guys who are not going out into society, who are not, you know, out socializing at beer gardens, still getting distemper? Holy cow. I mean, talk to your, you know, anybody out there in general practice even, and, and all the emergency clinics are going to tell you, we're seeing more and more distemper. We're seeing it regularly. It's coming back. Parvo all the time. I mean, and they're becoming really difficult strains to deal with. They're really virulent, really nasty strains that we fight against. And I don't see any difference in that. I don't see any change in that. And so I don't know. On top of that, it's to your point, now people are going out more and more. And I think that's just going to end up making things even, you know, even really a lot scarier. Yeah. Yeah. And, and again, Viewfinders, what do you think about this? Because now as we become more open to taking your pets, particularly dogs, to public settings, you know, what responsibility do your fellow dog lovers have to prevent your dog from catching something from that dog? I mean, this is really like I, I kind of feel like it's going to take a Disneyland moment, you know, like the measles outbreak that we all heard about and made na national news. You know, this child was taken to Disneyland uh, here a couple of years ago and exposed untold numbers of children. And then all of a sudden, all over the country, we're seeing little pockets of measles pop up. I mean, you know, Becky, I fear it's going to take something like that before we kind of start to reverse the trend. And and honestly, you know, those types of cases and outbreaks of measles in particular for human children have sort of reversed the 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 tide, the trend, if you will. I mean, lawmakers all over the country have gotten a little more serious, making sure that these exemptions are more valid and legitimate. Um, you know, Becky, is it going to take a pandemic before we actually wake up? Sure. And I mean, it makes me think about just the canine influenza cases, right? And to that, that started, now people are banging on our doors asking, do you have this vaccine? Can I have this vaccine? I need this vaccine. A couple years ago, a, a human in his 30s died of leptospirosis in New York City after exposure, you know, on a soda can. And all of a sudden, they're seeing this huge influx of lepto vaccine requests out there. So, you know, we obviously we do see these spikes because of media and because of fear where now they are rushing to get vaccinated. 
and and again that that leads to my frustration because it's not based on education in either case it's not based on us in either case we're not driving it in either case again the media has gotten in front of educating our clients and now they're coming in and demanding what what they want from us and when they want it yeah and that's a really good point and and we can segue now slightly and and i want to hear from you viewfinders what do you do but Becky, should we be promoting these stories? Like how should we be messaging this? You know, what should the AVMA be doing? I mean, I know that on their website, they've got several different, you know, downloadable forms and they've got some information for pet owners who are searching. But, you know, what can we do as a profession to maybe try to lead this message a little more? You know, one thing I've always found a little bit frustrating is the fact that we're not out there dealing with the public as much as we, I feel like, could be. So I feel like with the AVMA and state representation, state VMAs, um, you know, they should find these opportunities to be in front of pet owners. So can we be at these doggy beer garden social events? Can we be doing some kind of quick talk? Can we get them to a booth? Can we get our hands on the people who are the most active, the most exposed? Are, Are we going to dog shows and talking and educating with breeders? Are we finding the people who are the most interested in learning and being active with their pets and then getting in front of that with them? Um, I feel like the public is where the secret is. We spend a lot of time beating the drum within our industry, but we're preaching right to the to the choir. So can we get in front of the public? I think it is more important. And again, I think it's kind of the same thing. When we're when we're preaching to the people in front of us in the clinic, that's great, but they're in front of us, so there's a reason. How do we get in front of the people who are not there because of the things that they don't understand? Yeah, because, again, these people just aren't having their pet vaccinated for a variety of reasons, but most of them are saying, at least from these few surveys that we've got the past couple of years, that they don't feel it's necessary. Again, you know, Becky, that's an opportunity for us to educate. That's an opportunity for us to remind people that, you know, vaccinations save lives. I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, rabies, we've we've done a great job with that, at least in the developed countries. You know, obviously, we have a lot of work to do. I'm so proud to work with Mission Rabies. But, you know, when you go to those countries, you realize this is life and death for people as well as dogs, primarily. You know, so if, if you don't vaccinate in Goa, India, you know, kids die. You know, and, right. and so I mean, this is real. So people, of course, are like, yes, please, please come and help us vaccinate, you know, and, and cost is a barrier there and accessibility to vet care that we got all that. But here in the U.S., it's basically a luxury that we have that we can say, my pet doesn't need it, you know. And of, of course, again, the consequences could be dire. Um, and let's kind of wrap up the conversation today. Uh, again, you know, Becky, there seems to be a continued push trend slide towards science skepticism, you know, and, and yeah. I don't know, I don't know how we got here. I mean, I don't want to get political. I think there's a lot of reasons why people are, are questioning the media, questioning science, questioning experts, you know, uh, and I think that the internet fuels a lot of this because everybody's an expert on the internet. I mean, if you, if you go, this is, I've been preaching this for 15 years. When we search out different topics, whether it's vaccines, just just type in canine vaccines, dog vaccines, dog shots, you're going to be met 
overwhelmingly with non-veterinary sources of information. And some of those are great and they're responsible, you know, and they do a, a fantastic job. But a lot of them are like, whoa, you know, really, really super sketchy. So getting back to this, how can we as scientists, you know, as people who rely on medical evidence for our decision making, you know, how can we somehow bring back the trust in experts and science and in medicine? Yeah, I, I it's it's a hard thing, right? Because I think people believe what they want to so much more readily and quickly. And science doesn't always tell us what we want. It tells us we're at risk. It tells us we're vulnerable. It tells us that our worst fears are true and we are at risk. And so I don't know how to make people trust something they don't want to hear. I don't know how to make people understand and trust something when there is a, a much fluffier and and um, easier alternative available, even though it is completely false and completely fake. And again, I know we we can't and don't want to get political, but we do have to see that things trickle down and we do have to appreciate that there is trickle down effect. And the less resources we have, the further we will be from tackling these types of things. And the, and the more we are allowed to just kind of delusionate ourselves into believing the things that we want to believe are true and can be shaped to be true. Our pets are really at risk. Our health is at risk. The public is at risk. And it's a, it is actually something a lot more serious than I think we make it out to be sometimes. Yeah. And, and I think if you're listening today, we definitely want to hear from you. I want to hear how you're dealing with these challenges. Uh, what do you think we could be doing better as a profession? I think that this will only escalate over time. I think that the UK is a great sort of, you know, uh, simmering pot of problems. And we're starting to see that rise to the top now because again, it's a small little island country and people are crazy about their dogs and cats and rabbits over there. And so as they bring them out into public, they're starting to see these problems that historically they were not. So in the U.S., as we become this pets everywhere, pets all the time, pets, you know, any anywhere, society, what responsibilities do we have to ensure that they aren't passing on potentially contagious diseases? I think that is the root of the question. That is what I struggle with. That is what I want to protect our country from. Like, I really do not want to see Parvo make a comeback in this country. You know, I came from Southwest Georgia as a child. Becky, this is real. I saw hard pad disease, which is distemper as a child. And I am happy to say that during my professional career, was largely eradicated. I've seen a couple of cases ever as an adult, as a veterinarian adult, you know what I mean? Uh, but how do we make sure we don't reverse the clock and go back to a time where suddenly, you know, the younger veterinarians are seeing contagious diseases that we just shouldn't see? I, I know. And, and honestly, I think it's, um, it's not just the veterinary industry. We're seeing that, right? Like we're seeing more and more diseases that we are, are, or shouldn't be seeing, I feel like we are getting behind what we were in front of, and I don't think I necessarily have a good answer. But what I can say is there are a lot of tools. There are a lot of resources. There is a ton of education. There is a ton of science. Your industry reps have all of it. They have it in yes. fun little pens and markers and fleas that will hang from the ceiling that explode or do crazy things. <laughs> I don't know. Those, they, those guys 
work so hard. And, and it's easy to think in the back of your head that it's just to sell you stuff. But the truth of the matter is that's that's not entirely it. They work really hard to get education, to get in front of these things. And so if you are lacking education for your clients, if you are looking for ideas for your clients, if you do need fun ways to send out messaging, utilize those resources that are walking into your clinic all of the time, looking for ways to work and partner with you in better ways. They want you to sell more vaccines. They're invested too. And and they will really help you come up with true great ideas and and educational tools. Yeah, we got to work together. Well, you've heard what we have to say. Now we want to hear from you. How are you handling anti-vaxxers in your clinic? What steps have you taken that you've seen success? And maybe what are the challenges that you're seeing that we are not seeing? We really want to hear from you. Hit us up on social media. We love to have these conversations on Facebook, on Instagram in particular. And if you're still on Twitter, we're always still on Twitter. So you can find us on Twitter at Vet Viewfinder and on Instagram and Facebook at The Veterinary Viewfinder. Head on over to iTunes. Make sure you leave us a review. Leave us all of the stars and don't forget to click to subscribe so you don't miss one great episode of The Veterinary Viewfinder. Until next time. Bye. Bye. It's still so crazy that we have to have this conversation. I can't believe that I'm a grown man. And I'm talking about people who are refusing vaccines because they think it causes canine autism. But that's it. That's the meme that's on there, right? That it's like, you know, in 1950s, it's like, oh, the year 2020, we're going to have flying cars, <laughs> robots, right? And it's like, actually, the year 2020 is, uh, we hey. Have, we have Parvo. <laughs>